Funding for this podcast comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. WBUR Podcasts, Boston. I'm Daryl C. Murphy, and you're listening to The Commons. WBUR reporter Ariel Gray. Welcome back to The Common. Hey, hey. So, Ari, you went to the Museum of Fine Arts to report on a show called Comrade Sisters, Women of the Black Panther Party. The exhibition began last year in December, and it runs until June 24th. Tell us about this exhibit and, and what you saw there. So the exhibit is made up of 27 black and white photographs taken by Stephen Shames. Shames was invited to be the official photographer for the Black Panther Party by Bobby Seale, one of the founders. And this exhibit in particular highlights the women who were doing the work in the Black Panther Party, the women who were handing out the newspapers, doing the sickle cell anemia testing, running the free clinics, women who you don't really hear a ton about when we talk about the Black Panther Party in general. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to step back for a second. Just tell us about the Black Panther Party in general and how they operated in Boston. I think in general, uh, some people would maybe call the Black Panthers radical. I like to say that they were a group that was primarily focused on the liberation of Black people across the globe. That was what Mm -hmm. they were working towards. And so the Boston chapter of the Black Panther Party actually started here in 1968. And they did a lot of community work. That was where a lot of their focus went. So they established the Franklin um, Lynch Free Clinic. They had free breakfast programs. They had political education classes, really just focused on uplifting the community through education and offering resources. Because this was a time where Boston was becoming increasingly more segregated. And there was a lot of white flight in areas like Roxbury and Dorchester, Mm -hmm. which meant that businesses and organizations were also leaving. So that meant that this growing Black population had this lack of access to resources and services. And so when the Boston chapter of the Black Panther Party started, it started partially in response to this lack of resources in the area. I want to get into your reporting on this exhibit. There's a photo at the heart of your story. Can you describe it for us? This photo stopped me in my tracks when I went to go see it. It is a photo of five teenagers. It's four girls and, and, and one boy. And they're all decked out in their black leather. They're wearing their afros. And they also looked really young in this photo. And it was taken in Boston. And I was just really curious as to who they were and whether or not they were still around. And I wondered what their stories were. Like, how did they end up at the Boston chapter of the Black Panther Party? So now you're drawn to this photo. You see these people in it. You see that the photo was taken in Boston. So you get an idea. Am I correct? I get an idea. Yes, you are. (laughs) Tell us about it. So I did what any good reporter would do. Mm -hmm. And... I got the photo and I posted it on Facebook. My family is from Boston and I knew that there had to be someone out there 
who knew something about these teenagers in this photo. Mm-hmm. And probably within a day or two, I had a ton of responses and suggestions of who the folks in the photo could be. And eventually one of the women was identified. This one girl was like, that's my old Sunday school teacher. Oh, wow. And I was like, no way. She didn't have her Sunday, her old Sunday school teacher's contact, but she did have her daughter-in-law's contact. So I contacted the daughter-in-law who then got in contact with her husband, who then got in contact with me to tell me that that was his mother, his aunt, and his uncle in that photo. And he gave me his mom's number. Her name is Gail Jones. And I was able to speak with her and able to talk with her. And I actually ended up going to the MFA in Boston to see the photo with her for the first time. Oh, man. What was her response like? Oh, she was just absolutely in shock. You know, she actually said that she doesn't even think that she has a photo of herself at that age. Did they tell you anything about being in the party back then? Yeah, Gail actually had a really amazing story. You know, she had gone through this tragedy where she had actually found a friend dead of an overdose. And that's kind of what led her to volunteering. And here, actually, why don't we just listen to her kind of tell this story? I started running with my brother and sister and Rainy and Franny and going with them. And when they started going to the Black Panther Party, it kind of something that gave me hope again, because that was a time when, oh, I'm getting emotional. But that was a time when you didn't go to counseling. People would say, oh, she's going to be all right. But I wasn't all right. And so this gave me purpose. Mm. What type of activities did she engage in? Did she share that? Yes, actually. Here's a cut from Jacqueline talking a little bit about what it is that they were doing while they were volunteering for the Black Panther Party. And she also wants to make it very clear that they weren't members. They were just volunteers. Because we volunteered at the breakfast program. And then within, I was thinking about it. I said, within like a week or two weeks, we were running the program. I mean, my brother had the keys. We were in charge. We were going to Jamaica Plain High School, so on the way to school, we would volunteer. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, the Black Panther Party were, were doing some really important work. Yeah, it, it, it was, and, and the fact that they were so young. Gail Jones was 15 when that photo was taken mm. in 1970. And it's funny, they talk about their mom. Their mom marched with Martin Luther King when he came to Boston in oh, 1965. Wow. And they, re- they recall the story where their dad didn't want their mom to go. And their mom was like, no, I'm going. I'm standing for something. And that's kind of the same spirit that the siblings had when they started volunteering for the Black Panther Party. They wanted to do something that was bigger than, than they were. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? 
I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. And we're back with more from Ariel Gray. I want to zoom out and bring it back to the Black Panther Party. I read in the Globe that the Panthers membership never topped 5,000. And women made up about two thirds of the membership. I found that kind of surprising, right? Because, you know, when I think of the Black Panthers, I'm thinking of... Bobby Seals, Huey P. Newton, all these brothers in black leather jackets and sunglasses, some of them with the hat on, you know, sometimes they got a rifle in their arm, you know, because just looking militant and cool as hell. Right. But I feel like that image doesn't really do justice to the organization being majority women. Can you talk about the significance of that being a focus for this exhibition at the MFA? Because I feel like it's a serious education in the role of women in the Black liberation movement? I think it's a question in all movements whether or not the work that the women do is highlighted. Mm -hmm. And I think for the case of the Black Panther Party, a lot of the focus has been on some of these bigger figures. And what this exhibit does is it does shine a light on all of the amazing work that women did throughout the years that the Black Panther Party was operating. And... Unfortunately, though some of the women in the exhibit are unnamed, just being able to physically see them, I think, kind of disrupts overarching narratives about the Black Panther Party predominantly being male Mm -hmm. or just being these, you know, these big names like Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale, Erica Hudgens. We tend to overlook the everyday people and the everyday women who really kind of made the party what it was. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Tell us what happened to Boston's Black Panther Party. So the Boston Black Panther Party actually underwent a lot of leadership changes at the time. And it actually closed its doors around 1972. Mm. And it didn't really do so for any particular reason other than the fact that all branch offices of the party were actually ordered to close. And members were asked to go to Oakland because... They wanted folks to support the electoral campaigns of Bobby Seale and Elaine Brown. Mm -hmm. So that's actually what happened. That's kind of why they shuttered their doors. Audrea Jones Dunham, who was leading the Boston chapter, ended up moving out to the West Coast. And with her leaving, I think a lot of what the Black Panther Party here was doing, I think a lot of it just kind of ended up coming to a halt That's the short story of what happened to the Boston chapter. Is there something in this city, maybe a program, maybe an institution 
that we can point people to and say, this is the legacy of the Boston Black Panther Party? No. The place where their headquarters was on Blue Hill Ave is now like a bodega, I think. Mm -hmm. And there's honestly not a ton of stuff on the Boston chapter of the Black Panther Party. They haven't been like heavily studied as much as other chapters have been. I think because the Boston chapter there weren't these dramatic moments that happened in other places across the country as far as the Black Panther Party and the police. The Boston Black Panther Party was really, really focused on community work. Jacqueline Hayes actually talks about that. And she talks about how Boston was kind of always lifted up um, in speeches and national speeches um, by the Black Panther Party as kind of like a symbol of the type of work that could be done. All the good, the good, the good, the good. In Boston, they were doing a lot of good work. And they were saying that they Boston was always included in the speeches by Huey Newton and Bobby Seale because Boston was the model for the community work. Boston was doing it best. Well, in summary, Ari, I want to ask you this. You are a lifelong Bostonian, a Black woman. Proud Black woman, from my observations, what was it like for you to do this story and find out about these women and actually find them (laughs) and learning their story? How does that feed into your identity as a Black Bostonian? It was transformative. And the fact that they're from here, you know, they're Bostonians and they were involved in such an important part of Black history here is just incredible. And I think that more folks need to take advantage of the living history that's in their areas. Folks have amazing stories. And certainly Gail Jones and Jacqueline Hayes had a ton of amazing stories that they shared with me. I mean, I I, I don't have enough time to talk about (laughs) all the things that we talked about, but just the amount of history that lies in their memories is just, it was just an incredible experience. And I'm, I'm still a little bit in shock that I was able to find them and that I was able to speak with them and that they were willing to share so much with me. It really feels like an honor. And so Ari, if somebody wants to go see this photo, how do they do it and how long do they have? You can go to the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, and the exhibit is up through the end of June. The photo of Jacqueline Hayes and Gail Jones is up as part of the exhibit, and I believe that the MFA is considering adding a sign or some sort of signage with their names so that folks know what photo we're talking about in the piece. Got it. Ari, thank you so very much for coming through to the common and sharing this story with us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, Daryl. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening to The Common. Folks, you know what I'm about to ask you. If you like what you're hearing, please go to wherever you listen to podcasts, especially Apple or Spotify. Rate and review us. Let the people know how you're liking The Common. We would really appreciate it. Also, If you want to get in touch with us, hit us up on Instagram at WBURTheCommon or send us an email at thecommon at WBUR.org. I'm Daryl C. Murphy, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.